My name is Heath. I'm the lead pastor here at Reach, and we're starting a brand new series today called Wonder Recaptured. And, and here, here's, here's my plan. For the next three weeks leading up to the 23rd, um, we're going to, this week and next week, help prepare you for Christmas. I don't know if you know this, but Christmas is a season that sucks your life away. Not the holiday, but the season, okay? Not, not Jesus, not what he's done in entering and becoming Emmanuel, but this season. Can I get a amen from a parent? Okay, okay. Okay, it was a little quiet there for a second, and everybody's like, I love Christmas. And okay, I'm sorry. Um, but it has a way of distracting us, and I think that's kind of what's happened with Santa Claus, and kind of what's happened with the Easter Bunny, is it's distracting us from the reality of what's going on. And so what I want to do this Sunday, next Sunday, and specifically on the 23rd, is help to recapture our wonder. Wonder is this idea that we serve a living God who had so much compassion for us that he entered into our world, put on flesh, lived a human life perfectly that we never could so that he could tackle the cross so that he could open himself up to us so that we could have a relationship with him. And and I think sometimes with all the things that we do during Christmas, we totally miss that we have a God that did that. And if we're not careful, it'll it'll be January and we'll be making our New Year's resolutions and we will miss one of the biggest opportunities for us as a people of God to have wonder in who God is. And so what I want to do for us starting today is help us regain some of the sight that we have. Because you know the danger is, and and we've probably all done this, is that when we lose sight of something, usually we do dumb things. You ever done that? You ever lost sight of something in a moment, in an argument, in a you know road rage or whatever, but you lose sight of something and you do something that you wouldn't normally do. Think about think about just one. Don't don't tell your neighbor, but just for a minute, just think about one time that you've lost sight and you wish that you would have regained it sooner before you opened your mouth or you made that action, did that thing. Well, what? If that had a negative impact on us, what would it look like if we lose sight of the wonder of who God is? Of the, the, the beauty that we get to interact with. And you can interchange wonder with lots of things like holiness and majesty and all powerful. And here's the alpha and the mega. Here's the beginning and the end. The reality is that if we lose sight of that, it messes up everything else. Because if we lose sight of how wonderful God is, if we lose sight of who he is and what he is to us, then we will look to other things for what he only can provide for us. We'll create our own little idols. We won't go home and pull out the the firewood in the backyard and get our whittle knives and, and make something that we set up, but we will set up our own idols in our own house and we'll begin to worship other things. We won't know that we're worshiping them, of course, but we will do that. And so the tension that we have this morning is that the battle is lost for whatever is warring within you 
if we lose sight of our ability to win it, and that ability is tied solely to this figure called Jesus. And so what I want to do is I want to start in, a, in an Old Testament story that if you've never been in church, you've probably heard these words, David and Goliath. You've probably heard the story, and before I even start telling it, it's kind of like when we get to Christmas and I talk about the birth of Jesus, you will go, yeah, 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 seen it, seen it all, heard it, yeah, okay, and we'll miss it. But like, I want to talk about the reality that this young man, hey, Noah, can I borrow you for a second? Come come on. Uh, if If you don't know... Uh, this is my son, Noah. Look at him. Yeah. Good, good looking kid. Come from good genes. OK. Sorry, he didn't know that I was going to do this. And I will probably pay for this later. Uh, but Noah will be 15 December the 27th. So think about this. We we we've we've dramatized this story so much that we don't think about the reality that David was Noah's age. That David walked onto the battlefield. It's all right. I'm not going to make you do anything. And you're shortly going to be able to leave here. But I want you to get this image in your head that this is the reality that David walked into. He walked onto this battlefield with these two waging armies on each side with these battle ready men that have probably been this way for years. And here's this young man. You can go sit down. I'm sorry. I'll give you a dollar later. He's like, I'll get more than a dollar out of this. But we have to catch the reality that this wasn't some like, you know, black ops trained, you know, ready. But he's been hiding in the, you know, the shadows to come out and and perform this miraculous feat of of beating a Goliath. And so there's these two armies that are that are pitted against each other. This is the scene that's set up. There's there's one mountainside where the uh, the Palestinians are all on the other side and. Uh, Israel's on the other side and they're waiting in the, the middle of the valley where the battle is going to be. And for 40 days, the battle lines are drawn. Everything's prepared for the fight. And for 40 days, this character named Goliath, well, he is potentially nine feet tall. He's at least very tall, six foot nine, I've seen, to nine feet, depending on how you want to look at it. He's a very large man and very impressive. And he comes out on the battlefield, and it it is quite common in this day and age for the best warrior of one army to fight the best warrior of the other army for a one-on-one, winner-take-all battle. And for 40 days, Goliath steps out onto the field and taunts the army of God to send your best warrior here. We'll fight in this. We won't lose any other body. Just the two. And Israel is terrified. No one steps out onto the field. And where the story picks up, and this is in 1 Samuel 17, where the story picks up, David's father... This is how we have one idea of how old he is. Um, 20 years old is usually the age of manhood. 20 years old is usually when they enter into the army. Um, So he's under 20 for sure. Some people speculate 19. Most people would say between 14 and 16 years old. And so he's at home doing his job, working his little side work. It wasn't side work. It wasn't like, you know, his job. His job was tending the sheep and he was doing his job. And his dad calls him in from the field and said, hey, I wanted you to take 
food to your brothers. I want you to check on and bring word back. And so David, I'm sure like most young men, will be like, yes, I'm going to go to the front lines. I'm going to get to see what's going on. And, and he does that. And he goes to where they were supposed to be, finds a person. They said, hey, they're over here. And so he stays the night, gets up the next morning and goes to the camp to hear one of the taunts of Goliath. It's been going on for 40 days. So we're picking up in chapter 17, verse 24. I'm going to read a fair amount this morning just because I want you to get the picture of what's going on. It says, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. In verse 26, And David said to the man who stood by him, he wants to clarify this, because he just said that, um, What shall be done to the man who kills the Palestinian or Palestine that takes away the reproach from Israel? For God, and here, here, here's where he starts seeing this um, Whatever is in him, which I'm going to talk about a little bit. It says, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So here's this young boy that gets the reality that it is not about our army. It is not about our strength, but it's about the God that we serve. And he walks out there and hears this Palestinian saying this. This giant of Palestine saying this, you know, mocking the, the army of God. In verse 12, um, 27, it says, and the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. See, here's something to, to make sure that we understand what fuels David's courage was his confidence in God's promises. And God's power to fulfill them. He And we're going to see this very clearly. And the reason why I brought Noah up here is so that you understand that this nine foot man that has this armor and a javelin that is huge and a sword that is huge and, and is all this stuff on. You know, this young, handsome, and calls him handsome, man or young man walks out on the field, wasn't just like, hey, this is. Of course, he's going to beat Goliath because they didn't have the Bible. They didn't have like, oh, the David and Goliath. Like there was no David and Goliath when this was going on. There wasn't like, hey, we like, you know, as soon as I said the name, what's going to happen? You knew as soon as I said the name, like, oh, of course, he's going to win. There was no, of course, he was going to win then. In verse 28. Now, I love this interaction. I don't know if you have older brothers. I have one. I can totally relate to this. So David's older brother. Now, Eli, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. So his brother walks up as he's going, hey, hey, what's going to happen to the man who kills this Goliath? And Eli's anger was kindled against David. That means he was mad at him. Kindled. We don't like if my children be like, my anger is kindled towards Lydia or Allie. My anger is kindled. We don't, anyway, we don't say that, but he's mad at him. Let's just, that's what's going on there. Just in case you're at home going, yeah, kindle fire. Okay, anyway. <laughs> that's two pieces of wood for those that don't even know that either. They're like, okay. Uh, age appropriate. 
um, his anger was kindled against David. And he said to him, why have you come down? He's questioning why have you come down and whom, <laughs> whom have you left those few sheep with in the wilderness? Like, Who's watching? Like, who's doing your job while you're here? He's he's I love that in the midst of this, he's asking him, like, who's filling in for you while you're gone? Who's watching this poor little sheep? And I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. Like, that's a that's an older brother right there. You little. mm. For you have come down to see the battle. So the brother's like, the only reason why you're here is the only reason why most people watch NASCARs for the. Just kidding. NASCAR is awesome. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't even know why I brought up NASCAR. Forgive me. In verse 29, and David said, like, oh, I love this brother. Said, oh, gosh, I need this other word. What have I done now? You know, like, uh, like I, I have children, and I see their interactions between each other, and I understand what's going on. Like when he's like, what is going on now? <clears throat> Was it but a word? And he turned away from him. So he's like, ah, whatever. You know, you're going to be what you're going to be, older brother. He turns away from him towards another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. And when the words of David that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. Can you imagine? I don't. Can you imagine the desperation of like the king of Israel is is chilling in his tent, hiding, afraid, not going out there, not on his own, trying to battle this Goliath, not sending his son Jonathan, but hiding in the midst. And someone comes to him and said, "Hey, I was just I was just talking to this little scrawny, you know, like kid, and he was he was you know." He was seeming like he might be able to do this. And, and so much so that the king's like, yeah, 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 bring him in. Could you imagine how desperate you are to be bringing in 15-year-olds to fight your battle? And that's what happens. In the verse 32, and, and David said to Saul, let no man's heart. And this is a 15-year-old talking to the king. Let no man's heart fall because of him. Your servant will go down and fight with the Philistine. Could you, how in the world? This is what I don't get sometimes with the Bible. And I think it's okay to be like a little confused. Why would the king go, yeah, okay, stamp of approval. Let's go this right to the front line. This kid's going to take care of it for us. Of course, we believe that it is the spirit of God moving in and through David and Saul to even make this a possibility. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. So he's not completely crazy, but he still gets there. But in verse 34, it says, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. He used to. He still does. Um, There somebody's watching him right down the road. And when there was a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. 
for he has defied the armies of the living God. Saul is like, I like your resume. You've been hand-to-hand combat with wild animals. And David said, the Lord, and this is where it gets good. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Can you imagine Like, I think this is where we kind of lose our, you know, because we know the story. We're like, of course, David is going to defeat Goliath. This is ridiculous. So much so that Saul, the the next two verses is Saul going, okay, okay, let's let's try to get you some armor. So he puts on this armor on time. He gives him this sword. And I mean, can you imagine, you know, a, 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 a young man who's not filled out being put on Armor that doesn't fit him. And he's like, this doesn't work. And he takes it off and he said, I don't need it. And he literally takes his staff and he picks up five stones and walks out onto the battlefield. See, this this is what I'm talking about. Like this wonder recaptured here. There was nothing lost on David. David was not looking at himself going, yes, I can do this. Did you you catch him earlier? He said, the same God who delivered me from the paw of the beast will deliver me. He wasn't going on his own strength to go fight this large man. But he understood one thing, that God was capable to give victory regardless of what the circumstances look like. Verse 40, it says, then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's palace and his sling in his hand. And he approached the Philistine in verse 41. And the Philistine moved towards him and came near David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine saw, looked and saw David, he disdained him for he was but a youth ruddy. Use that later. You're ruddy. Okay. Or don't. It's a little weird. Ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, can you imagine he's standing out there in his little terry cloth, whatever they wear back then? You know, it isn't much. The armor didn't work. And he's out there with a shepherd's staff and a little sling. And five stones, and he is, I mean, can you imagine the confidence that you have to have, the courage that you have to have to not only walk on the field, but then make this statement. It says, you have come to me with sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I have come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day, the Lord, and I love that he's, even in his declaration, he's not saying this day, the future king will deliver Israel. He's saying 
This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. It's a little graphic. And I will give your dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. And all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves with no sword and spear. Sorry, saves not with sword or spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into my hand. Can you imagine? I mean, just think about yourself with Goliath. He's like, oh, my gosh. Like, I was going to have to fight maybe one of their best guys, and it, it might be a little hard, but I was going to win anyway. That was what he was thinking, because no one goes out for 40 days, taunt, taunts another army, thinking they're going to lose. And they sin. I mean, could you imagine all of his buddies in the back watching this little boy walk out onto the stage going, what is wrong with them? Like, they're making this too easy. And I'm sure his overconfidence helped play into this. It says in verse 48, it says, When the Philistine arose and came and drew drew near to meet David, David ran quickly towards the battle line and met the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his sink. I didn't read. The, I mean, I don't know if y'all seen or understand. This wasn't like a slingshot, like you're going out and kill pigeons. I mean, this was a two pieces of leather and it has a little pouch on the end. You put a stone in it. And they I think what did I read yesterday? Uh, this thing can get up to like 200 miles. And I mean, this thing can move. And they um, guys like David that use this on a regular basis were very accurate with it. But it's it flung so hard and so Fast that it literally sank into his forehead. Everything's getting ready to change. Like the army that was mocking the people of Israel, the army that was gloating over this easy win is now seeing their prize champion hit the ground. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face, on the ground. And so David prevailed over the um, Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. And then David ran over and stood over the Philistine and took the sword, his sword and drew it out of a sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah arose with a shout and pursued them. And they slaughtered their army. So here's what I'm I'm not telling you to do. Pick up some stones and start throwing them at people. I am not telling you to go out and aggressively attack physically for the, the winning of the battlefield. But what I am saying is there is a battlefield always waging war in us. There is something right now. I could almost put good money on it. There's something right now inside of you that you're struggling with. And the reality is, is you've lost confidence in your ability or God's ability to deliver you from it. 
And so wonder, another word on our end that we could replace with that is faith. What causes us to lose the reality of who God is? Not just for our salvation, but literally for our life. God came so that we could have freedom. The word says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is victory that God wants you to have that you will not have on your own. I don't know. I mean, I probably don't have to say this, but we're we're. We're silly enough to continue to to round that mountain over and over again, thinking, oh, I can do better. I can try harder. Maybe next week, maybe next time. The reality is, is that there are some things that you physically, emotionally, mentally will never overcome yourself. If you could. You wouldn't not you necessarily, we wouldn't spend billions of dollars on self-help books we would just do it we would just put our mental capacity together and we would make ourselves better the reality is is we understanding ourselves this this sin nature that we have in us we will never overcome we will never walk in victory for what we don't allow god to give us victory for see in the new testament we are not to battle flesh and blood ephesians 6 12 but to love our human enemies. Luke 6:27. However, we are to take every thought captive to obey Christ. 2 Corinthians 10:5. Our Goliaths are our indwelling sin and the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Ephesians 6:12. And we are to wield warfare weapons against them. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, including the shield of faith and the sword of God, his word. Ephesians 6, 16 through 17. And we are to aim and destroy it. I just want to tell you from personal experience. That there is no overcoming without King Jesus. I mean, there's temporary because I think sometimes we can make ourselves for a a short minute. But when we get into that tension, we realize what's going on, that we don't have the capacity. And what I want to do, the, the gift that I would love to give you in this season. Is the reality is the best thing that I can give you is an increased wonder of the God that we serve. An increased eye-opening to the king that we have access to. See, the season isn't just another season for us to kind of wash over with, you know, debt and gifts that are going to be enjoyed for the moment and then thrown away, not immediately, but they do. They end up like my prized possession when I was my son's age, maybe a year or two younger than him was a Sega Genesis. Sonic the Hedgehog. You know what? And I, I would have probably done anything to have that. I, I would have done anything. I would have fall. I would have done anything to have that. And you're like, Sonic the Hedgehog. Trust me, that was awesome back then. And right now, you know where that's at? I have no idea. It's not in my house. It's not framed on my wall of like where it all began. It is in a trash heap somewhere. 
sadly, buried under the earth. And I, I want to have you have access to a treasure that doesn't lose its luster. A treasure that doesn't lose its value. But we, on our end, have to make ourselves recapture the wonder that we lose. Like when we, when we truly meet Jesus for the first time, it radically changes us. And the thing that we have to do as believers is have a relationship with the living God. It is the same thing. I've been married. Um, February will be 21 years this coming February. And yeah, yeah. Thanks, whoever. Appreciate that. You more thank Jody because she's had to deal with more than I've had to deal with her. I've married a great woman. Um, but that relationship isn't there just because... We should still be married. That, that relationship's there because we invest in each other. And it's the same thing with God. We, we don't go, hey, we get married and then see you later. I mean, because honestly, that's how the wonder is lost is, is we have one day where we're like, we need Jesus. We'll do anything for him. And then we get married to Jesus, which I know sounds weird for all your dudes. But we get married to Jesus. We become his bridegroom or he becomes bridegroom. We become the bride. And then we, we, we walk away going, oh, we, we've done what we needed to. But our relationship, the, the wonder that God's called us to is living ever present with him, the king. And so here's a, a couple of questions that I have for you that we're going to ponder as we go into our last song. And I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up. And if you're doing great today with your wonder, with your... Love and joy for Jesus. This may be for someone else, so I don't want you to feel like, oh my gosh, why is he saying this? Like, I'm, I'm doing great. But the high likelihood is we, we probably could be better. Our attachment to that king and savior that we call on probably needs some work. So my first question this morning that I'd love for us to just kind of sit on and sing on as we close out our worship service, is where is your wonder or faith these days? Is it captured by the right thing? Is there something else that is getting that wonder that is specifically intended for God? Second question is, have you lost sight of Jesus. And if you have, if you're aware of it, I think sometimes we're aware when we're just not in that place that we need to be. We're aware that we're not connected the way that we should be. So my last question is more of the application part of this. Is that what is that doing to your life right now? Because we, we must most change comes to us as we realize that it's it's more painful to stay where we are than to change. So what is that doing to your life right now and what are you willing to do about it? And, and let me just say, as we go into our last song, we and I say this over and over again, uh, I don't put or we don't put a song at the end of our service to keep you here a little bit longer. We don't put a song at the end of our service to delay your lunch. 
We put a song at the end of our service because I understand that the best opportunity for you to do something proactively with what's stirring inside of you is right now. And so as we go into this last song, don't get distracted because I just said lunch and you're now thinking what you're going to order, where you're going to go, how it's going to taste. Instead of that, sit, stand, sing, and just go, God, what, what do I need? I mean, I, honestly, most of my worship before is me crying out to God, going, God, I need you. I'm aware of my need for him on a daily basis. Are you? And if you are aware of it and it's not what you want it to be, what are you going to do about it? God says for for those, all you have to do is ask. And so this morning, the simplicity of this may be just going, God, I am sorry that I've been so distracted with everything else that I have put you on the back burner. I've put you out of the priority place and I want to move you back there. It may be literally you going, God, I have I'm walking in a way that is not okay, and I need forgiveness. I need to confess that to you so that I can walk in your forgiveness. And it may be for some of us in this room, the reality of that we've never really introduced ourselves to a living God. And we need to do that today. And the beauty of it is, as we go into this holiday season, we do have a God who didn't just start this world spinning and leave it to what it is. He literally had a plan from the beginning. You can read Genesis 3.15 later. He had a plan. He knew he was going to send Jesus from the beginning. It was always the answer. It was all these prophetic words prepared the way for people to see Jesus. And then he did it. 2,000 years ago, he sent his son in the flesh to fulfill all those prophetic words so that we could have a living Savior. Jesus has expressed his love for us by going to the cross. The Father has expressed his love for us by sending the Son. And let us not unwrap the presence of God, unwrap the things of God and treat them with the same disdain that we do with all the gifts that grow, that we grow tired of so quickly. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it is by your grace and mercy right now that we even have breath in our lungs and Lord, you know what every single person in this room needs. Lord, you know what I need. And I just pray this morning as we close in this last song that you would give us a clarity that we don't have on our own. That you would even now begin to clarify who you are. That we would stop putting you in a box. That we'd stop downplaying the significance of your sacrifice. That we would stop taking for granted the joy that you have given us access to. That we would stop just living for heaven to make sure that we get in, but that we would start living for you right now. That we would see purpose. Lord, I pray just like David had eyes and ears to hear when he walked on that field, when he heard what the 
what Goliath was saying that, Lord, I pray that you would give us those same eyes and ears that we would walk into those scenarios when we hear the enemy or our own flesh declaring a victory that does not belong to them, that you would give us the faith, the wonder to believe that you are capable to bring victory. So, Lord, whether that's someone battling with depression or battling with relationship issues or or battling with uh, job loss or battling with all the things that are going on in this world, Lord, I pray that you would bring clarity right now as we worship. I pray these things in Jesus' name.